Hey everyone, welcome to Entrepreneurship by Design with Dr. C. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline, and thank you so much for joining us today. Entrepreneurship looks different for everyone. How and why we start our business, challenges that occur, pivots we have to make, success we achieve, all while life is happening. That's why I love sharing these inspiring entrepreneurs with you and shed light that there is enough room for everyone to succeed and thrive, even if you're in the same industry. I'm so glad you're here today because I have such an incredible guest with us, Justin Maxwell. Justin is a husband and father first, business owner second. He helps fellow business owners keep more of their money they make. He does this by helping them set up automations, utilize tax strategies, provide solutions for student loans, and create efficiencies for around every single dollar. He has helped businesses keep and recover $40 million plus dollars as well. And thank you so much for being here today, Justin. It's such a pleasure to have you. And I would just love for you to dive into your journey, how you got here today, and then we can dive a little bit deeper. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you very much. Uh, I have a, for, for someone in finance, I have a really unique way of being here because I didn't start out in finance. I was a school teacher. And I was a physical education school teacher. So I wasn't even anywhere with business or money or anything like that. I taught physical education for kindergarten through eighth grade. Like that was what I did. Yeah. Uh, and the way that I found this route is I happened to hear a thought leader in the financial industry speak. Right. His name is Garrett Gunderson. And his words just reverberated in, in my soul at like, not that teaching was bad or wrong for me, but it was, I almost chose teaching as like the safe avenue, mm. not to push myself. I, I was comfortable with it. I could do well at it. But when he spoke, it was, I need to do more because I can give more to the world and I can give more to, to the people that I need to give and who need to hear my voice. And though teaching is a wonderful career and there's a lot of good you can do in teaching. For me, when I heard his words, I was called to action to change and to find something else to do. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And mm -hmm. I found this route after that. But those words is what changed my direction because I did not have any I, desire to be an entrepreneur or desire to be a business owner or to be in finance or to be anything like that. But those words, just the way he spoke and the way he spoke about value deliverance and finding your values and what you want to do with your life, it just resonated with me. And it caused me to actually change, which was which was unique. I don't think people often change, but I was able to make a change. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And coming from a family of educators, my dad being a retired principal, my mom, a retired teacher, like there, I have a soft spot for teachers. And I think it can be limiting sometimes of the change you can do in the world. You're impacting your students, the school, but being able to go into finance and being a business owner, even though like obviously the words inspired you to take action, what were those initial steps of starting your business and finding the idea of what you wanted to do? Yeah, so it, it, it was very much like the, the word I like to use is invested in myself. So I had to find what was I going to do? So I, I started reading a ton of books on just different avenues. I invested in educational courses. I didn't go back to college, even though I had a master's degree. I didn't want to go that route. I could have gone that route, but I'd already been in school for a long time. So I didn't want to go that direction. So I started pursuing things like educational courses on the outside. I started trying things and actually trying like real estate investing or trying sales or trying this so that I could start to walk down a path of, is this right for me? Is this right for me? 
And so it was a combination of both like increasing my knowledge around how to make income on your own and be an entrepreneur, plus mm-hmm. actually going out and trying to do things um, and having varied success, both a lot of failure and then some minimal success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's part of like the process, right? The failure and the lessons learned and obstacles we have to overcome. And I'm curious, what were some of the obstacles that you endured on this journey? Uh, it took me a long time to find what I wanted to do or figure out like, what was I called to to do? What was I supposed to be doing versus just trying to take the easy route or just do what everyone else was doing? Like, what was I supposed to do? So there was a lot of like, butting my head against the wall as I was trying things and like yes. seeing other people find success, but me not finding success in that thing. And I'm sure that success would have come. It's just, I didn't have enough skill. I didn't have enough knowledge. I didn't have enough time in the water on that thing. So it wasn't like I was quitting, but it was something that I wasn't quite connecting with. So keep running up against the wall there. And then just finding that like, sometimes things don't work like in real estate investing specifically, like you're relying on other people to like, if I'm flipping a house, I, it's not just me flipping the house. Like I'm relying on other contractors to show up and having them not show up and having them take some money and not doing the job that they're supposed to do. Like those are failures that you have to learn from. And it was probably on the communication side of me. I wasn't clear. I didn't vet them well enough. So like, it's all things that can be corrected, but mm-hmm. like they, they were failures at the time that I was in the, in the means of them. Yeah. And beautiful lessons in that. So now, like when you encounter a situation that's similar, you already know how to combat it and being upfront more of like what you were saying, the communication or vetting people and all those things. But a lot of times you don't know what you don't know and you learn through those experiences. And I love that you've been able to learn that. And now you can move that forward when you have experiences that might be similar and not having a similar outcome, a better outcome. Right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm so curious, what inspired you to start helping business owners in particular keep more of their money? Uh, so it really, it really resonated with me because though I never really found an avenue of find, making money in the other areas that I was doing, like I, I had some minimal success, but I still had to teach in order to continue to make income for my family. But mm-hmm. one of the things in my knowledge process of developing that is I realized that number one, we all just assume that if we hire an accountant that we're going to keep as many, like every accountant in my mind prior to this, like I just assumed if I hire an accountant, all accounts are the same. And I'm, I'm going to pay my minimal taxes by just hiring an accountant. Like that's the only solution I have <laughs> to have, but that's an incorrect assumption. And it wasn't until I heard a tax attorney explain like how there's actually strategy and things that need to take action on that result in you paying less tax, not just hiring the accountant. Hiring the accountant is just one piece to the puzzle. You also have to implement and have strategies and have people helping you with things. And then when he was explaining how much money could be saved by actually strategizing, it was eye-opening to me. And when I realized that if you have an entrepreneur, you have someone that's good at making money that actually has a tax problem, and you're able to provide them with more capital by helping them implement these strategies, that business owner can go help and deliver more value to their client base. So to me, it was my way of, if I meant at the very beginning, I I could help the world more is I can help the world more by providing more capital business owners so that they can serve their base at a higher and deeper level because they have more capital at work. And with more capital, a successful entrepreneur can do way more. And so it's my way of reaching more people. Even though I'm not the person delivering the value, I'm assisting 
that business owner and delivering more value. So it connected really well with me and it just was a nice bridge as I can do this and I can not only help that person, but it's going to reverberate and have a ripple effect all the way down that chain that they help. I love that. And I mean, that's, I'm going to assume, but I would love for you to speak a little bit more to it of why you do focus on helping people make more money instead of growing other people's money as well. Can you speak a little bit more to that? Yeah. So oftentimes with money, there's this assumption that in order for me to become wealthy, I have to put my, my wealth, my money into something else. So I have to put it into another investment. And though there is some truth to that, the true wealth is created not through outside means, it's through the internal skills and, and process of that individual that's creating the wealth. So a business owner, for example, becomes very successful at creating value. And as a receipt of their or evidence of their value, they're receiving money and they, they start to make a lot more of it. Like that's evidence that they've received it. That's mm-hmm. their primary driver of wealth. They themselves are the primary driver of wealth, not some other asset. And so if I can help them be much more efficient and keep the money that they've already made, that has a greater rate of return than anything else they're going to do. So if I can help them, if they're, let's just say they're paying $100,000 in taxes, if they're able to keep 40,000 of that, that's $40,000 return in an instant. That what If you're gonna get $40,000 return on anything else, you're gonna have to go put your money in something you might not understand, focus on something that takes you away from your primary wealth creator, which is your business and delivering value. Now mm-hmm. I can make that return in an instant and help them put more money back into their business. And then eventually, then they can start into other assets that will grow their wealth. And But it will be a, a companion to not the sole source of their wealth. Mm. That's so true. Because if you think about it, a wealth creator is you and being able to use what you are able to be great at and do and help other people, it allows that focus to continue to expand versus doing something that might not be your lane or having to really exercise that muscle that isn't really there or it's very weak compared to being able to have somebody who does know how to do that and is able to help you in that capacity. And what is, because you mentioned taxes, but what is your perspective that people should have around saving taxes? Yeah. So the perspective for me is is you don't have to, because there's two, there's two mindsets around taxes. You have the person that's like taxation is theft and you should never pay taxes. And that person typically oftentimes will do things that might be pushing the line on legality because they're so against it. Then you have the person on the other side. That's like, I feel guilty for paying taxes because I feel like taxes are helping society grow and and this and that. So my mentality around taxes and the, Mm -hmm. the, the mentality that's helped me and my clients is, is the tax code is a rule book. It's a rule book on how to pay less. So only the very beginning of the tax code is how taxation occurs. The rest of it, which is tens of thousands of pages, is how not to be taxed. Mm -hmm. And so the government is telling you that they value you if you meet the criteria in the tax code enough to, you don't have to pay taxes because we value what you accomplished more than we value your tax dollars. And so you don't have to feel guilty about paying taxes, or you can do it legally, even if you're this person in a way that actually is bringing value to society in the way that the government feels is appropriate or is something that they want more than your tax dollar. Like you're helping society function. So like, for example, mm-hmm. a real estate owner, someone that owns real estate, a landlord is providing housing for someone that can't afford to purchase a home themselves. Right. The government values housing because if people are housed, they're typically going to have a job. They're going to be cleaner. They're going to have more self-esteem and so on and so forth. 
But if no one is providing housing, the government has to do it. And so now they're going to say, if you provide housing, we will give you a tax break because we're you're offering something that we don't want to offer. Mm. And you're providing something that's still beneficial to society as a whole. And so they're going to say, you don't have to pay as much taxes because you offer this. So there's a whole bunch of things outside of just real estate, where if you meet the criteria of it and you're doing something, you're the, the government's telling you, you meet the criteria for this. Thus, we feel this is more valuable than your tax dollar and you are helping society still without paying taxes. And so you get to keep those dollars, which means you can go do more of those things that are helping society and keep more dollars and continue to reverberate and help society without feeling guilty that you're not paying enough. Or if you're that person on the edge, you don't have to do illegal things to pay less. You can do legal things and feel good about it still and still not be caught up in that. So that's the way I approach it. Yeah, no, I appreciate that perspective too, of just the continuum of where people can be and what that looks like. And I'm very curious, can you share with us some of the effective tax strategies you have implemented for your clients? Yeah, so it's it's very broad. So I'm going to keep things relatively broad, but just know that these things exist and that you'll need to speak with a tax professional to access them. Um, but know that these things are out there. And I think it helps people. Number one is there's there's things on the tax incentive side where they're they're tax credits, I guess is what they're called. So if you're in the sciences or if you're in like medical or engineering or architecture or designing or manufacturing or creation, there's a a credit called the research and development tax credit that Mm -hmm. oftentimes gets missed because Mm -hmm. it used to be only for the big businesses. And it was only recently, 2015 was where it finally became truly available to like small businesses. And so it might not be a ton of money, but it could be like $5,000 off your taxes, or it could be $20,000 off. But the the key is, is you need to find a specialist firm that can help you do it. And there's a high likelihood if you're in those science-y, the biologies, the physical science, the engineering, the computer science industries, Mm -hmm. that you're going to qualify for the credit at some level, and it could reduce your taxes. So know that most accountants don't bring that to you up front. You have to go seek out a, a specialized firm for it, but it could be a, a five to $10,000 tax savings for a small business owner. So that's one. Mm-hmm. Um, other ones are, is you need to make smart, what we call tax smart investments. So similar to real estate, if I purchase real estate, that's an investment that will save me taxes. Real estate is just one asset class that comes with tax breaks. There are others. And so you can invest your money to make money and have the result of you paying less tax. So you need to speak with a financial advisor, typically a a registered investment advisor that plays in the alternative investment space. So these aren't stock market investments. Those aren't going to save you taxes. But in the alternative investment space, there are asset classes that if you invest in them, the government is going to give you a tax break for it. And it can be fairly substantial at times. So knowing that there are tax smart investments available, you can grow your money and save taxes at the same time. And then another one is you can maximize donations. So instead of just getting a dollar for dollar write off on donations, like which is what typically occurs. So if I donate to the Red Cross, the dollar amount that I donated is going to be a deduction on my taxes. Mm -hmm. But you can make it so that when you donate a dollar, you're going to get $2 off your taxes. So if I donated... I'm going to use easy math. If I donated $100,000, I'm yeah. going to save two hundred to 170000 in taxes, oh, wow. not just $100,000, not just get a $100,000 deduction. So I'm actually going to create tax savings out of my donations. 
And there's, cool. a, there's a variety of ways to do that. Very cool. I'm learning so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just appreciate it. But, you know, you brought up every dollar and I'm so curious, how do you prioritize which areas of business to focus on when creating efficiencies around every dollar? Yeah. So oftentimes we can overcomplicate this. Like we can get really stingy on a budget and mm -hmm. typically budgets cause some guilt associated with it, specifically if we're not able to keep that budget. So if something comes up and there's a way that we're we need to pay for this, but the budget's not there. It's going to cause us some, what I would, what we call scarcity or some mm -hmm. doubt. And scarcity is not the place to play in when it comes to business ownership. You have to be thinking abundantly minded. You have to be thinking this is going to work. You have to be thinking, this is why I'm doing this. This is going to create X amount more. And so if you start to slip into scarcity, you're going to probably make a decision that you don't want to make versus this. So the way we like to do it is you just, it's very much, there's a, uh, in the business side of things, there's a, a mentality or book out there called Profit First, where mm -hmm. you allocate profits to you first and you work with the rest. So you automatically create, these are the dollars we're working with. This is what I have to work with. The rest is for profit and for pay or, or for whatever you're allocating it to. So on the business side, I would recommend that as your mentality. On the personal side, the way that the easiest way to do it without like budgeting and trying to to really, okay, this dollar has a job, this dollar has a job, is you just create an automatic savings plan. And the best way to do that is every once you start paying yourself, all those dollars are first going to stop in what we call the wealth reservoir mm -hmm. or the well, you can call, it needs to have an abundant name, wealth reservoir, wealth capture account, something that's promoting, this is my growth account. And then you create an automation outside of this wealth reservoir that will automatically spit down to your checking account. So if you need $10,000 a month to live on, it will send $10,000 automatically to your checking account. All the dollars in the checking account can be freely spent without guilt. You get to do it. Just don't spend more than is in there. So you can, it doesn't matter what they are. There's no guilt around. You could go on vacation with it. You can pay your mortgage with it. You can go out to eat, but that's what you have to spend on. That's your spending account. Everything else that's captured up here is in the wealth reservoir account. This is your wealth potential account. You're waiting for opportunities to come for me to grow more wealth. So this could be back into your business to invest in it. This could be into the other investments, but now there's no guilt around it. The key to this, the power around this is that when I make more money, so as my income rises, so as my business does better, this wealth reservoir is going to capture all that increase. The automation of 10,000 a month stays exactly the same. And so now I'm capturing these and I'm not allowing unconscious spending to creep in and take my money. Now, if I want to increase the 10,000, I'm making a conscious choice. I want to increase this from 10,000 a month to 11,000 a month versus if your if your income increased by 5,000 a month, it's really likely if you didn't have the wealth reservoir in there that you would get to the end of the month and be like where where did the money go? Because unconscious spending happens when money's available to spend, we spend it. Like it's human nature and there's so much opportunity to spend in our world. It just it, it it's gone. Mm -hmm. This prevents that from happening. And it allows it to be a conscious choice. If I want to increase my lifestyle, I can do it, but I'm consciously choosing to do it and I'm controlling how much I'm doing it versus it just unconsciously happening. And this will allow you, like you will save so much more money over your lifetime by having this structure in place, like millions of dollars more. Even for people that don't make a ton of money, they will save way more doing it this way than trying to budget and trying to feel guilty and trying to allocate every dollar here or there. 
Yeah, no, I love that breakdown too, because I recently, I don't know if you've seen it, it's on Netflix, it's called How I, I Get Rich or something along those lines, but he talks about different people and he talks about conscious spending. And that's the first time I heard that term. I've heard terms around that, but like even the unconscious spending that we do and understanding there is sometimes so much guilt around spending, especially because you have so many things that you have to allocate to. And, but if you create it where it's a system where, you know, okay, I don't have to feel guilty about spending this money. It's there, but then you're creating your wealth for yourself, generational wealth and anything that comes along with that. But I think it's being able to differentiate between the accounts and where your money's going, because when we are conscious of how we're spending our money, that can remove the guilt because we know, okay, I have this amount of money that's there. I don't have to worry about it. It's not like dollar for dollar. Yeah, no, you're, you're right on. And it really is a power. Like, that's why we name it the wealth reservoir. Mm -hmm. And that's why we call the checking account the spending account. We don't have to now differentiate. We, we can literally just be much more free and we don't have to think about our spending as much. And we can go do, solve more problems because mm -hmm. money has this thing where it sticks in the back of our mind and it causes this like dark cloud over us. And so if it's there, we might not be as creative. We might get distracted more often because it's like, well, I have to do this. But if we have that solution where it's just automated and we know we're okay, now maybe we can write a book that we wanted to write because we're more focused or we can think a little bit deeper about a problem in our business or at our job and we can actually solve it because we're able to go a little bit deeper than we would have because the block of money and finance is gone. So that's that's the power that I think comes from this. It's not that money's the most important thing, but when mm -hmm. it gets solved, all of a sudden a whole bunch of other opportunities and avenues open up for us. Yes, because even being a former marriage and family therapist, clients, a main issue I would see, it's one of the top three was around money and just how we view money, how we experience money. But when we take that out of the equation, it does offer open up opportunities to be able to write a book, to be at more speaking engagements, to do whatever you want to do, but it gives room for that and space. So you're not constantly worrying about that. And I'm so curious with just how people, business owners in particular, when it comes to managing their finances, can you explain some of the common mistakes that business owners do make around that? Yeah. So number one is they don't, they just they don't have a more, they just have their accountant on their tax team. You have to have more than your accountant. You have to have an accountant, a tax strategist, and probably a tax attorney. Once you get this, like if you get over 600,000 in revenue, you need to have an accountant, a tax strategist, and a tax attorney all on your team. So if you're just with a tax accountant, you're paying too much in taxes. That's mistake number one, because that is so much money that is leaving you every single year unnecessarily. Number two is, is that they, they do try to keep up with like, what society thinks a high income earner should spend their money on. So in spending, instead of spending their money on things that they value, they spend their money on things they think society thinks that they should value because they have that much money and because they're at this level of income. So they pay attention to their peers versus paying attention to what actually brings them joy and happiness. Oftentimes, if we peel it all the way back, it's typically to spending time with family and experiencing the world, experiencing your faith, um, and having good health. Like typically those are the things that typically people value or really want, but they typically sh shoot for things rather than um, uh, experience and opportunity with their people that they actually enjoy. So th that's number two, but this system can help solve that problem because you can still do the, you can still spend, if it's in the spending account and it's there, you can still spend on some of those things that the world wants you to spend money on, mm -hmm. but you still have saved and created wealth or have the wealth potential there. So that solves that problem as well. 
The next one is this, this idea, again, that they have to make wealth outside of themselves. So they will oftentimes just throw their money at things because they think that's how you get wealthy. So they hear all these opportunities and these pitches because they have money and those opportunities come all the time to them. Mm -hmm. And so they just throw them at them thinking this is going to work for me and this is how I'm going to be wealthy. So they, they get caught up in that game. But sometimes in that game, we talked about a little earlier is this will then require a lot of attention. So if you don't like real estate, for example, if you get into the wrong real estate deal, that is going to suck your time dry because you have to deal with tenants and lawyers and cleaning and contractors and all sorts of stuff that you might not want to do, which then takes you away from your actual money creator and your actual wealth creator, which is you and your business. So that's, don't just, you need to be really deliberate about what you're investing in. Don't, you're your primary driver, create guarantees, create as much money and wealth and keep as many dollars as possible with that create guarantees around your money, and then deliberately invest in what you actually know and can control at some level versus just throwing it at everything that comes across your door because you think that's how you get wealthy. You get wealthy through yourself, not through these other things out here. Mm, that's very true because a lot of times something looks like the shiny object and you're like, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. And you start doing things that don't align or that's not your zone of genius yeah. and understanding when we are in our zone of genius where it's creating wealth, it makes it that much easier to continue to create more of that and where it's coming from versus all these other outside factors like you're talking about too. And just knowing our lanes, right? And yeah. where we want to put our energy that it's going to expand versus drain us. And what advice would you give new business owners who are just starting to navigate their finances? I know you mentioned a few things already, but is there any other things that you think are important to know? I would say it's it's important to not be afraid to, to hire people. So the, I like the, the phrase, who, not how. Oftentimes, business owners will try and solve it how instead of just hiring a who that could solve that problem and take so much time off your plate and just get it done, even if it means you have to pay them a little bit more money than you thought. That will probably that person, if it's a right who, will make you more money in the long term overall. So that that's probably the third advice that I would have is don't be afraid to hire really great talent. I know that takes some that takes practice, and it's not just like easy, like oh, I can just go hire anyone; they're going to be great. But you yeah. you can make that deliberate choice and eventually figure out how to get that right who in place that will change your whole business. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And that's really important because a lot of times business owners in the beginning, they don't maybe have the money to hire, but it's almost like that return on investment and knowing it's the right who, like you're saying too, because I think that's a really key factor because you can put money towards something that isn't going to really help you in the direction you want to go. But I want to switch gears for a minute because I know student loans is a topic. It's a hot topic. I know I have them, but what are strategies that do you have to help people save money on them? Because I'm really curious and I'm sure other people are. Yeah. Too. yeah. So it's, it's honestly, you're taking advantage of government programs. So government programs around student loans have been around since the nineties. Mm -hmm. President Clinton's administration was the first to initiate them. And it's probably a phrase that a lot of people are familiar with. It's the income driven repayment programs. Most people are familiar with that, and they, as they're filling out their application annually on their student loans, they see the opportunity to click those, but they're like, that sounds like it's only for people that are poor or that are just starting out right out of school. That's mm -hmm. not for me, a successful business owner or someone that's making good money. That doesn't apply to me. It's not for me. So they just ignore it. But the, that's an incorrect thought process. These programs are for low-income earners, middle-income earners, high-income earners. 
not like super high income. Like if you're making a million dollars a year, the program won't work for you. But if you're making $500,000 a year, the program will likely still work for you. So that's still a lot of, that's way more than most people make. And it still is applicable to them. Yeah. So the strategy around it is that these income driven repayment programs will lower your monthly payment. So instead of you having to pay $1,000 a month or $2,000 a month, if you're a business owner, it's really likely that we can make the payment or get the payment really close to zero or actually make it zero. So you don't have to pay anything. But most people were probably going to be in the three to $500 range, just as, a, as a, an example. Now, that's nice, but that, that doesn't actually help. Like, you're not paying off. If you just paid, obviously, you paid zero. You're never going to get out of, like, you're not going to, your, your loan balance is not going down, right? That's probably the next, like, what's like how is this getting me out of debt? Well, the all of these programs have forgiveness built into them, every single one of them. So some a lot of people are familiar with the public service loan forgiveness. So you work in a charity or a nonprofit for 10 years, and at the end of the 10 years, your loan will be forgiven. All of those, all of these government programs that I'm talking about all have forgiveness built into them. They just are a little bit longer. So for it's it's 20 or 25 years. So if you have a zero dollar payment for 20 or 25 years, you haven't actually made a dent in your student loans, but it will be forgiven at the end of it. And the government is going to convert your debt into a tax. So let's just say figuratively your student loans are 250. Mm-hmm. The 250 will be forgiven. And they'll take the 250 and they'll give it to you as income and you have to pay taxes on it. So instead of paying 250, you're probably going to pay 150. So in that process, you've saved money on your student loans. Mm-hmm. But that's not the real, like that's that's nice. Even if you broke even with that, that's mm-hmm. that that's not really that's the, that's a cool thing. It's nice, but that's not the real power behind what we can do with this. The real power is is that there's a phrase called opportunity cost. When I take a dollar and I pay my student loans, I myself have lost control of that dollar for the rest of my life. I can never get that dollar back. It's right. it's going to student loans, but I can't get it back. It's a sunk cost. But if I can free up the payment and make my payment zero, I now have, we'll just say $1,000 of freed up cash flow. If I take that $1,000 of freed up cash flow and pay myself and get it growing for me over a 25-year period, I am going to create high to mid six figures worth of an asset after I've paid my taxes. So I go through the program, I'm out of student loan debt, I can take from this asset to pay my tax, but I also have left over at the end of it. I mean, it depends on people's situation, but with $1,000 a month, you're going to have mid to low six figures worth of an asset for yourself that wouldn't have been there otherwise. So you've actually created wealth out of the student loan payment. So instead of you being out of debt and being, we'll just say that we'll go with the 250 example again, instead of being out of paying $250,000 and being out of debt, which accomplishes the goal, but you could almost say we're negative 250 because we put $250,000 to it. Mm -hmm. I also am out of debt. I've paid the 250 and I've created, we'll just say $300,000 of an asset for myself that I've, that's now mine after I've already paid everything off because I control the dollar. I get to grow up for myself and I can create more value out of it than it just going to the student loans first. I'm going to pay off my student loans, but I'm going to pay myself first and grow it first for myself. Mm-hmm. Wow. that That's eye-opening for me because, I mean, I still have some student loans 
lingering around. I mean, it's not cheap to be a doctor, but I think it's just a really cool strategy of just understanding the breakdown of it because you're right. Like once you pay it, that dollar's lost, it's gone forever, but how to create a system around it to create an asset for yourself and what you're wanting to accomplish. So I appreciate you sharing that. I'm sure everybody listening is definitely getting something from that as well. And we'll start changing how they're doing things a little bit. Yeah. it's And it's not that the other anyway is right or wrong. It's just this right. This because you're accomplishing the goal either way. This one just right. takes a little longer, but you are in charge of your dollars during the entire process. And so you get to control what's happening to them. So you can make them work for you along the way versus just doing what everyone else does, which is just paid off, which is accomplishes out of debt. And that's an important factor, but right. you don't get to maximize those dollars for yourself. My mind's blown. <laughs> I love it um, because I think it's super helpful and just knowing there's other ways around it and being able to maximize the money that's going in and out and how to navigate that more effectively. And so I know I'm really curious because I know your father and what has been entrepreneurship and fatherhood look like and being married, everything along those lines, how have you navigated and integrated everything into your life? Yeah. So this is one of those things where I really struggled at the beginning because everyone always teaches you, you need to grind, 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 grind. And that typically means you're just gone. Like you're working all the time. And so that alienates relationships and alienates relationships with your spouse and your children because you're not present with them. And when you come home, you're typically tired or you're a little bit, you're not engaged with them. And so it took me some time to figure out, I have a lifetime to make money for myself. I have a lifetime to grow my wealth and to create a, a help people and, and be this. It's not a rate. What am I racing to by grinding and by working all the hours? And so you do have to stop. and. Remember that the relationship you probably care most about is not your job. The relationship you care most about is your spouse and your children. And if you're not there, they're probably going to make poor decisions. And you've got to be engaged with them and turn off the work and the business and start to engage with them as well. Because that's more, that's when you come to the end of life, you're probably going to not care about your business as much as you are those relationships. And if you've ruined those, there's probably going to be some sadness and regret in your, in your life. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you sharing that too. And with everything that you've done to help business owners around keeping money, saving money, what do you think is the biggest takeaway that somebody listening today can really hold on to and start applying to their life? I think the biggest takeaway is that you're the primary driver behind your wealth and there is not a race for anyone. Like you're not racing anything. People typically race to 65 or they race to 70, but what that's just an age. There's nothing, there's nothing to that. Like you could still be working. You could still be delivering value. You're your primary driver on wealth. There's no waste race behind it. It's okay to spend money on things that bring you joy. Like if you need to go on vacation, spend money on vacation. Don't be such a miser that you're not going to spend money on a vacation that gives you rest and experience and time with your family. Like that typically will result in you being able to be more valuable anyway, because you're going to have more energy and, and zest. And maybe you thought of something because you stepped away from just in your moment. And now you can think, and now you have an idea that grows your business even more and creates more wealth. So I would say the biggest key is to remember you are your greatest asset. You're your driver, primary driver behind wealth, not something else or someone else. It's you. Yes. It's all from the inside out. And some of the things on the outside that really help you build your business when it comes to tools that, and resources that you've used, what have been two or three of those tools that you could share with us that business owners can start utilizing in their business? Yeah, that's a good question. I think for, for me is 
to to create that automatic savings. So we have a, a phone application that will allow people to just have it automatically there on their phone. They can see how much money goes in and the automation is set up on their phone. So they're not having to set up two different bank accounts. The phone app is the bank account and the phone app is the automation. So that's number one is you can create automations through technology like that. The other one is, is to, I think, just have a really good like CRM or way that you're, you're tracking your clients um, so that, and there's there's a variety of them. Like we use Active Campaign, but there's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of them. Like you just got to choose one, get good at it, and actually use it. Don't let it go to waste because that can be a great way to create automations for emailing and keeping in contact with your your prospective clients or the people that you're doing drip campaigns with. Like that can be the hub. But if you don't actually use it and maximize it, it doesn't matter which one you use. It's are you actually utilizing the one you have? I think is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate you sharing those too. And what are, what's maybe like your top two tips when it comes to the entrepreneurial journey, everything that you have learned? I know you've given us a lot of information, a lot of insight, but things that have really shown through in your experience. I think for me is don't get caught up in the grind. So don't think you have to grind. That's really, because you're going to wear yourself out. If you do, you can't grind forever. And typically, like like I mentioned, you're gonna lose like you're gonna reuse your relationships, and then that will make you hate it even more, and you'll probably start to hate your job and hate your business more than you actually enjoy doing it, and that's not a good thing. So don't get caught up in the grind. And then number two is just remember that you are creative and you can solve problems and you can create abundance. Like if there's a problem, there's a solution out there. And you just have to get into the mind frame and the mindset that I can solve this. And there's a solution that might be collaborative with another business, but you can create solutions out of yourself. Like you can come up with the solution. You can create something that's never been discovered before if you believe it can happen. Like you could change the world with some sort of innovation in your business. And maybe it doesn't share with anyone else, but it changed the world in your world, in your family, in your your inner in your circle of influence like that's that's important and you can create that you're the creator of your own existence powerful powerful what we can accomplish and just being able to tap into what we have available to us and sometimes we don't even know how powerful we are unless the problem occurs and we find a solution because we need to find the solution to make things move forward. But I've been so enjoying this conversation, Justin. I feel like I've learned so much. I'm sure everyone listening has as well. But where can people find you? Use your services. We'll link everything below. But if you could let us know too. Yeah. So a few places. LinkedIn's a great easy place. You can just message me there. Just Justin Maxwell. Um, I'm the tax specialist or tax strategist. One of those two. I can't remember. And then the other way is just go to our website, biglifefinancial.com. And then there's a, you can get on my counter directly through biglifefinancial.com slash TRP, and it will go directly to my calendar and we can have a conversation to see if I can't provide influence or help in your situation. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Justin, for just sharing all your insights when it comes to taxes, student loans, business owners, really being able to be financially more fit and aware of where their money is going. But I know I've enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure everyone listening has as well. But thank you again for coming on and just sharing your wisdom. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment below. What was the biggest takeaway from Justin today? He gave us so many tips, but leave them below. I'm sure he would love to see that comment and we will see you on the next episode.